Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Singapore, Damian Maya versus Ben Askren. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, halfway across the world. Two of the best grapplers in the sport, trying to move one step up the rankings. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah, Ben Askren, he needs to redeem himself off that five-second KO loss to George Masvidal, the first loss in his career. And I know he wants to bounce back in a big way against Damian Maya, who's fought some of the best in the division, like Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman. And if you can beat Damian Maya, it shows that you're a real contender tender at welterweight so i know if this uh ben gets this win he puts himself right back in a title contention if maya can pull off the upset here then hey maya maybe maya still got some life left no doubt about it and it's such an intriguing matchup because we've seen damian maya fight a bunch of high-level grapplers inside the octagon, whether it's Chris Weidman, John Fitch. We all remember when he fitched Fitch. I mean, we can go on forever. He's fought at least eight grapplers inside the octagon. So this is actually the first time Ben Askren has fought a fellow grappler. I know he dominated jiu-jitsu black belt Douglas Lima, but this is the first time he fights a guy where his main focus is to get this fight to the mat. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how Askren deals with uh, someone who's got a similar goal as him. Even though Damian Maya is on the tail end of his career, this is still one of the better uh, opponents that Askren has fought going in on paper. So it's going to be a tough test for him, and I'm interested to see how he performs. Definitely. Well, we're going to break down this whole car start to finish, but before we do that, you got to know about our sponsor, Flav CBD. To produce the industry's purest and most potent broad-spectrum CBD oil, Flav starts with 100% organic lab-tested cannabis that's certified to be of the highest quality grown. Their broad-spectrum CBD oils preserve the complete cannabinoid and terpene contents of the raw plant to magnify the therapeutic benefits of the plant's individual components in what's referred to as the entourage effect. So, uh, in other words, uh, you know we're blowing on that blueberry, that cotton candy, the mango. Uh, right now, I'm really enjoying my pen. Uh, I know after jujitsu, I like to sit back and you know use the creams, kind of help you recover a little bit. If you have another session and you have to continue your day after a very intense uh, training, the creams get you on point. But man. I've noticed that in October, when it's supposed to be getting cold, it's still 100 degrees out there. Well, guess what? Flav CBD got you covered on that sunscreen. So I've been thoroughly enjoying my Flav CBD products, so make sure you can too. Go to FlavCBD.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. Well, Shaq, let's break down this whole card start to finish. Because first up, in the heavyweight division, we got Jeff Hughes. He's 10-2, and two, and Rafael Pezoa is 9-1. and one. Currently, they got Jeff Hughes minus 250. The comeback on Rafael Pezoa is plus 210. Well, Shaq, both of these guys are trying to get their first wins inside the octagon. Jeff Hughes uh, had an unfortunate result last time with the eye poke against Todd Duffy. And Rafael Pezoa ran into a man uh, named Cyril Gan. Who do you think gets their first UFC win here? Yeah, Rafael Pezoa is one of these guys. He's got a lot of power. He opened up. Uh, Jeff Hughes actually opened up minus 165, so a lot of actions come in on him. He, I guess, showed his toughness in the Duffy fight, but we all know that if you make Todd Duffy, if you just fight back and not go out unconscious with him, I said that but going into that fight, that he'll most likely quit, and that's exactly what happened. So I think if that fight would have kept going, it's unfortunate because I do think Hughes, uh, Hughes would have got his first win. Now he's got a less athletic opponent. I feel like Pessoa on his local scene didn't fight anybody, fought a bunch of fat guys, wasn't really tested. He's, he's definitely live for a knockout it's heavyweight but i think hughes is slightly the better fighter but i'm not necessarily too high on hughes he's slow 
He's not athletic. He's just a. Uh, he's just solid. I think Pessoa just needs a lot more work, but I do think he's live for a knockout at heavyweight. So I think it is a dog or a pass situation. But I'll, I'll pick Jeff Hughes for the win here. Like Pessoa is a guy that needs a lot of work. I like some of the things I see. You know, for a big man, 265 pounds, he's out here throwing spinning wheel kicks. So it's very exciting. Usually KO or get KO'd kind of situation with him. So that's always fun to watch. And with Jeff Hughes. You know, he's very meat and potatoes. Uh, he's the kind of guy that gets his job done for the most part. I say that 0-2 in the UFC so far, officially 0-1-1. But what I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at is that he's had two appearances, hasn't gotten his arm raising either. So we'll see if that changes here. You know, former LFA champion. I simply think that Jeff Hughes has a little bit too much experience and is more developed than Rafael Pezoa. So I'm going to pick him to win for that reason. But it might actually be a dog or pass situation because I wouldn't recommend laying minus 250 on Jeff Hughes until he's really proven that we can trust him. And Pezoa, these are big boys. He does hit hard. But at the end of the day, I will take Jeff Hughes to edge this one out. And next up in the strawweight division, we got Alexandra Albu. She's 3-1. And, Lu- and Loma Lukbunmi is also 3-1. and one. Currently, they got Loma minus 125. The comeback on Alexandra Albu is plus 105. Well, Shaq, this is a line that flipped, man. It opened minus 150 for Albu. I know a lot of people got burnt betting her against uh, Emily Whitmire. That didn't go according to plan. So now they've all put their money on someone that we've never seen before inside the octagon. Do you think the debutante gets it done here against uh, Albu? Both these girls are 3-1. and one. Loma, she's got a kickboxing background from Thailand. So I think she's going to have the better striking in this uh, matchup. She really hasn't had to deal with too many uh, grappling situations in her four fights. I think she has been submitted once, though, if I'm not mistaken, you know, not yeah. too long ago. Uh, which Albu, if you watch her Kylan Curran fight, I mean, if you're better against Whitmire, I mean, she blatantly gives up her back in a lot of her fights. And She's a muscle fighter, man. She just uses all muscle, really not much... Uh, skill behind it she's just very muscular and strength and she hits hard i guess you could say for the 115 pound division she's more experienced her three and one is a little bit different than loma's three and one loma i will say she's got better striking and i think that she can hit a couple takedowns i mean she's got a nice duck uh duck under takedown that she hits in a lot of her fights so i think that she probably translates out down the line to be a better fighter and i think she'll probably get this win it's not a confident pick just because Abu does have like three fights in the UFC. That's very important. So I'll take Loma because I just think she's more skilled and I think Abu is a little bit of a mess. But uh, I think Abu is somewhat live. I mean, I could see her getting the win. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you, man. It does seem like Loma might have some better technical skills. But at the same time, that UFC experience does count for a lot. And in a fight like this, which I kind of consider a coin flip, Vegas opened at minus 150 for Albu, and all the action has come in on Loma. The lines flip, so I'm going to side with Vegas. I'm going to go with Albu to get this upset, but if she doesn't get this win, uh, she'll have a very successful career as an Instagram model, so no matter what, it's going to work out for my girl Albu. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Sergey Pavlovich. He's 13-1, and and Maurice, the crochet boss, Green, is 8-2. and Currently, they got Sergey Pavlovich, minus 235. The comeback on Maurice Green is plus 195. Well, Shaka, both guys coming off first-round knockouts. Both guys looking very impressive. Uh, which heavyweight prospect do you think takes the next step up the ladder? Yeah, this is going to be a good fight. Both guys coming off the first-round knockouts, like you mentioned. Both were against Brazilians. Maurice Green fought in his hometown uh, in Minnesota his last fight, and Sergey 
was able to, I think it was in uh, Russia, if I'm not mistaken. So they both fought in their hometowns as well. So I see why they made this matchup. Sergey is a very good counter-striker. I'd say he's a little more stiffer than Maurice Green. And Maurice is more of the longer. He likes to throw a lot of shin kicks that John Jones likes to throw. He's got long jabs. Seems like Maurice Green is progressively getting in better shape, but it seems like he has a tendency of coming out hard a little bit too early in that first round and then uh, might progressively start making mistakes in his boxing. And Sergey Pavlovich is a very good counter-striker with a lot of power in his hands. Um, the only thing, only question I have with Sergey uh, in this particular matchup but Pavlovich is, I feel like uh, I don't want to say that Marie Screens fought the tougher level of competition, but in a lot of Sergey's fights in Russia, I mean... Those weren't really contests. I mean, he had his way. You know, he fought over him, got smashed. And Marcelo Gomes, a kid that, if you really check out Marcelo Gomes coming into the UFC, had fought nobody with a winning record before. All the dudes he fought were 0-0. He got a nice little win over Colombo. Fucking, and then at least Junior Albini, at one point in time, had a, <laughs> a somewhat of a legit UFC win. So Pavlovich couldn't capitalize on the mistakes that Green makes uh, if he can extend this fight. So I think the longer this fight goes, it might favor uh, Pavlo uh, Pavlovich. But I, can't, I, I wouldn't count Maurice Green out, man. He's 6'7". It seems like he's getting his life in order. He's got long weapons for the uh, heavyweight division that a lot of these guys are not used to. So it wouldn't shock me if he put uh, Sergey Pavlovich out unconscious in that first round. But I, I slightly do lean Pavlovich. I do think that he might be uh, right now currently just better, but... Um, I don't want to say that Pavlovich's line is too steep because if you truly think that this guy is the real deal off his last fight, and he looked great his last fight, but Marcelo Gomes was a, a completely broken man, you know. So same thing with Junior Albini. I feel like it might there's a chance where it's an even playing field is what I'm getting to. So I'll, I'll, I'll take Pavlovich, but for me, I think it's a dogger pass uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, Pavlovich has kind of been a tough dude to read because like Shaq alluded to in those regional scene fights, it was against the opposite of stiff competition and then UFC debut goes out there and you know it's there's no shame in losing to a guy like Overeem but he didn't even put up any resistance there was no fight whatsoever he got smoked right away then the very next fight against Marcelo Gom let's just say I faded him one two fight one fight too soon and I think here against Maurice Green this might actually be a decent spot to pick against Pavlovich because this kid Green while I think Pavlovich is overrated I think Green is underrated because you know he had this whole thing on the Ultimate Fighter where the guy was was smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol and that kind of that image of him kind of carried over to his UFC career where people still think he's that bum <laughs> from the ultimate fighter but actually it seems to me like he's turned things around because the kind of performances I've been seeing it's like a, a new school Travis Brown and I'm not talking about Travis Brown that gets knocked out every fight either I'm talking about the Travis Brown that was out there knocking out Josh Barnett knocking out Alistair Overeem not saying Maurice Green's going to go out there and have that kind of career, but he definitely seems to me like uh, someone you got to look out for. You don't have to see six foot seven heavyweights, and he actually knows how to use his height. This isn't a Stefan Struve situation where you're begging for the guy to throw jabs and front kicks. Maurice Green does it, so there's always a chance Sergey Pavlovich, who's a very hard hitter himself, comes out here and knocks him out. But at these kind of odds, it is a dogger pass situation, and I will take the dog. I'm going to take the longer Maurice Green to come out here and upset Sergey Pavlovich overseas in Singapore. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Enrique El Fuerte Barzola. He's 16 and 4, and Movsar Evloev is 11 and 0. Currently, they got Movsar Evloev minus 175. The comeback on Enrique Barzola is plus 155. Well, this is a great fight, Shaq, because 
Not only do you got two of the best wrestlers at 145 pounds, but both guys are very hype prospects. And Enrique Barzola, it kind of seems like the steam has kind of gone off his name a little bit. Now it's kind of going towards Evloev's corner. People seem to love this kid Evloev, and for good reason. I mean, when we talk about relentless takedown attempts, you talk about Movsar Evloev. Uh, when this guy wants to put you down on the ground, you might stuff the first, you might stuff the second, you're not going to stuff the third. And when he does get that third, you're not getting back up from bottom either. And if you do, uh, it's a reshot right over again. So it's Matt return after Matt return with this kid. I think he's the, the real deal. And Enrique Barzola got away with pushing this pace against so many of these guys but it's kind of hard for me to imagine him pushing that same pace against Evluev who firstly is going to stuff the takedowns and secondly might actually take Barzola down which is a spot that you don't often see guys going out there not just attempting takedowns on Barzola but having the confidence to have that game plan going into the fight and knowing that, hey, I'm going to not just beat you, but I'm going to beat you at your own strength. And I think that's exactly what Evloev is going to do here. You know, I like Barzola a lot. He was talking about moving down to 35s. And there's a good reason he didn't move down to 35s for this fight. Because in a way, this is bantamweight versus bantamweight. They're just not cutting the weight. So they're meeting at 145 pounds. I, I like that. Good good on the health. But at the end of the day, man, I really do think this kid Evloev pushes a serious pace. I think it's going to be too much for Barzola. I think he comes out here and wins a decision. Masvar, you know, he announced that he's going to be, you know, fully a featherweight from now on. He uh, felt like as he got older that Bantamweight cut was going to be too much. And I think he made the right move. Barzola definitely has more experience than Masvar. But uh, Barzola just seems like he hasn't been, what's the word? It feels like he's holding back a little bit in a lot of his fights. The kid's very skilled. I was high on him a lot at one point. But it seems like he struggles with guys that maybe are a little, uh, you know, heavier size than him, at, a.k.a. Kevin Aguilar. And Masvar is around that size, even though he's a former a former Bantamweight. Um, so Masvar is an easy path to victory with the, the Russian wrestling style, which is just get a hold of him, tie him up, kill that clock, and, and, and most likely win a decision. The only way I can see Masvar losing this fight is if he chooses to box with El Forte, which I highly doubt he's going to do. You know how those Russians fight, especially the ones. I mean, I've been on the record to call this kid little Khabib, so I will take uh, Masvar for a win here, and I, I think he uh, should win, should get at least two rounds. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Alex the Spartan White. He's 13-5, and five, and Rafael Ataman Fiziev is 6-1. and one. Currently, they got Rafael Fiziev, minus 200. The comeback on Alex White is plus 170. Well, Shaq, it seems like this kid Fiziev has a lot of love from the public, not just this weekend, but also the last time he fought, he opened the underdog, got bet to being the favorite against Magomed Mustafaev, who at the time was coming off a three-year layoff. Well, turns out the layoff didn't mean shit because Mustafaev goes out there and spin kicks this guy in the face. 90 seconds later, the fight is over. You think the 6-1 and one Rafael Fiziev can rebound here against uh, the UFC-tested Alex White? Alex White, he probably hasn't had the best run in the UFC. He's lost a lot of fights, but uh, might have a losing record if I'm not mistaken. But at the same time, when you look at those losses, they are to James Krause, who just knocked out Worley Alves, uh, up away class at 170. He lost to Jim Miller. That's a legend right there. Tony Martin, a relevant guy, somewhat relevant guy at 170. So he's fought, uh, I would say, way steeper competition than uh, Rafael Fiziev. Fiziev's got the kickboxing background. Uh, he's got multiple uh, champions. But, you know, we've seen in the past with some of these kickboxing guys that sometimes they, they get a good, uh, a little bit too, uh, too much love, and especially at Chalk lines you know when they're dogs like G uh chikaze was this past week probably be uh uh 
a better spot. Fiziev, you know, like you said, he's only got seven fights. He got knocked out. No one could say Magomed would also knock Alex White out, but it might not matter, man. Fiziev, I just don't know what he's really got. It seems like he's been fighting a bunch of fights in road FC against these two and one guys and these seven and three guys who got tennis shoes on out there and he's getting these knockouts but what happens if somebody fights back that's going to be the real question for him in the UFC because there is a chance that Rafael Fiziev isn't ready for this level like I said he's only got seven fights he really hasn't fought anybody he's coming from a different sport so I think that Alex White earlier on he was at, uh, as high as plus 200 I think that you know that's a good bet if you got him at a line like that I know Alex isn't the best but I feel like Alex White is clearing up holes in his game aka his wrestling his wrestling has been a huge issue in the past because he's been going up against these big gorillas like Rocco Martin like Krause like uh, Jim Miller now I feel like with the training that he's been doing in California in the past for his last fight mixed in with the training in Colorado for this fight that you might see Alex Alex start to utilize more skills might tie up Fiziev, might lean on Fiziev, use his size advantage. Alex is one of the bigger 55s, six foot, cuts a lot of weight. So I'm gonna take Alex in the upset. Of course, Fiziev, if he can if he can catch him with the knockout blow and knock him out, then that's how he's gonna win. But I feel like uh, if this fight gets extended, if Alex can test his experience, then I feel like he could possibly get a win here. So I've definitely had some mixed results betting on Alex White, but this is by far the most inexperienced fighter he's ever faced throughout his entire career. When you talk about a guy like Rafael Fiziev, yes, he is a credentialed Muay Thai fighter, allegedly. Someone please tell me about those credentials. I mean, because when we we're talking about that guy a couple weeks back, Brad Riddell, we could tell you firsthand he beat John Wayne Parr. He did all these things. Fiziev, on the other hand, I know he's the coach over there uh, at Tiger Muay Thai and this and that, but as far as his actual background, you know, someone let me know. But that being said, while he's a credentialed Muay Thai fighter, he's very green in his MMA journey. Fizzy has had less than 10 pro MMA fights, and the one time he faced a UFC caliber fighter, who, by the way, was coming off a three-year layoff, Fiziev was stopped emphatically in under 90 seconds. So simply put, I kind of think this should be a pick -em. And for the first time in a while, Alex White is actually the more well-rounded fighter in a fight. So not only do I believe that Fiziev is KO or bust in the spot, but I also think he's kind of too small for the weight class, Shaq. Uh, the days of being a 5'8 lightweight are long gone. And like I said, it should be a pick -em, but at these big odds, I, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. And as far as the grappling is concerned, both guys are purple belts uh, on paper. I know Alex White gets made fun of for his grappling a lot, but you got to understand uh, this isn't Rocco Martin or Jim Miller. Jim Miller's got the most fights in UFC history. This is Rafael Fiziev, who has never fought anybody UFC caliber until he finally did. And when, that, when he finally did, he got stopped in 90 seconds. So I'm not convinced at all about this kid. I need to see more for myself. Maybe he is the real deal. Maybe that was just a bad night. So in Alex White's last fight, I mentioned how he gets made fun of for his grappling a lot because you saw the fights with Tony Martin. You saw the Jim Miller fight. We've seen all these fights, even the Krause fight. But then you saw that fight with Dan Moret, and I know we can say what we want about Dan Moret, but going into that fight, Alex White, we've always been saying, this guy needs to leave Missouri and go somewhere else. And that's exactly what he did. He went to Colorado, did some training with Justin Gaethje, with Brandon Gertz, with Austin Hubbard. And as a result, goes out there against Dan Moret. And for the first time, I saw Alex White not only defending takedowns, I saw him scoring takedowns of his own, which is something I've never seen throughout his entire career, which made me which made me think that, hey, 
maybe this guy is progressing. Maybe this guy is actually finally taking it seriously. Well, since that point, now he didn't just do half his camp in Colorado. Now he actually moved out there, did the whole camp there. So training with guys like Gaethje on a daily basis, I can only expect that to take him to the next level. And the fact that he was already shooting for takedowns against Dan Moret, who's known to be a grappler, I can only imagine that he might do that here against uh, the very inexperienced and small Rafael Fiziev. So while Alex White is known for his boxing, don't be surprised if he comes out here and tries to get some takedowns, tries to lean on the smaller fighters. So I'm going to go with the upset pick. I'm going to go with Alex White here for the win. Now next up in the strawweight division, we got Randa Marco. She's 9-7 and seven, and Ashley Yoder is 7-4. and four. Currently, they got Randa Marco's minus 155. The comeback on Ashley Yoder is plus 135. Well, Shaq, uh, Randa Marcos opened minus 215. All the action has been coming in on Ashley Yoder. I know Randa likes to win one, lose one, win one, lose one. She's coming off a loss. So uh, you think the trend continues here, or do you simply think this is a case where Randa Marcos is just way more experienced than Ashley Yoder? She opened up minus 215. Randa Marcos, when you look at it on paper, has fought considerably the better competition. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, Grasso, Carla, Sparza, Feliz, Tisha, uh finished Angela Hill, um, who Yoder lost every round to. I mean, she's fought the way better competition. I mean, Yoder's been in there with her best opponents, probably Mackenzie Dern. And <laughs> as we found out, Mackenzie ain't all that. I think that Ashley Yoder, yeah, she probably is a lot, I guess, a lot, just because it is a, a, a strawweight fight, the possibility to play out close. The thing with Ashley Yoder is I just feel like, I don't want to say she holds back, but I... I just don't think that, I don't want to criticize her toughness, but I just don't think she's the toughest girl. I'm not sitting here trying to say that Randa Marcos is the toughest girl either, because Randa at times has shown to be a mental mess. And But I just feel like if she, if a fighter like her is lying like that, it's almost like Luis Mocha being lying minus two on an opener, you know what I'm saying? It's like when she's lying minus two, I feel like there's something to it. I feel like she's fought the considerably better competition. I feel like Yoder's grappling doesn't really match up well with hers uh with marcos's yoder likes to do a lot of triangles off her back and rush a lot of things in her grappling like as she did when she fought angela hill and angela hill took her down got on top of her kind of out grappled her in that fight so i feel like random marcos is the better fighter here yoder's the longer fighter here she keeps us out in space and capitalizes on randa's terrible head movement and her messiness that maybe she uh might be able to win a split here, but I got to go with Marcos. I just think the 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 experience against higher level competition, and, and we could sit here and try to act like Carla Esparza is nothing, but Carla Esparza is still relevant. Carla Esparza is still Carla Esparza is still winning fights. You know, people like to you know shit on her for whatever, but Carla's a good fighter. Like Yoder ha could only dream of doing things like that. She's never made it to that level before. Carla touched and the she, belt, and when she has, she's gotten wiped out. So I, I, I'll take Randa Marcos for a win here. Look, I agree. Obviously, I'm not one to lay chalk on someone like Randa Marcos. That's a fighter where I would prefer to better at dog odds, as I did when she fought Carla Esparza, plus two something odds cashed. But here against Yoder, Randa should win the fight. But again, trusting her with chalk is uh, you're expecting a lot from the young lady. And I do think she's better. You know, it's funny uh, to say that Randa has a striking advantage somewhere, but. I think she can come out here and hurt Yoder on the feet. Obviously, what you got to look out for, Yoder's nicknamed the Spider Monkey because she loves to, you know, she loves to pull guard. She loves to sweep. She loves to take your back. She loves to do the whole bit. Shaq and I were actually at her last fight against Yuri Kondo. And the first couple minutes of that fight were really impressive. It looked like she was about to get a first round finish. It looked like the whole place was about to explode. It looked like, man, there's a reason they put Ashley Yoder as the first fight of the main card. 
And then uh, two minutes passed, and uh, Siri Kondo is the kind of fighter that you're supposed to go out there and do whatever you want to her. I mean, let's put it like this. My girl Yan Zonan threw 10 spinning backfists in a row. In a row at Siri Kondo with no uh, repercussion whatsoever because you're not supposed to feel a threat with her. And Ashley Yoder, it seemed like some of those stand-up exchanges seemed like she was barely hanging on. Even though the scorecards were 30-26 or whatever they were, there were some very sketchy moments that I feel like other fighters could capitalize on. And Random Marcos is another fighter that will capitalize. And whether it's a finish, whether it's a dominant decision, I simply think Random Marcos is going to come out here and out-hustle. Ashley Oder. So for that reason, I'm going to pick her to win the fight. Now, kicking off the main card in the welterweight division, we got Muslim Salikov, the king of kung fu. He's 15 and two, and Loriano Staropoli, the Argentine, he's nine and one. Currently, they got Muslim Salikov minus 175. The comeback on Loriano Staropoli is plus 155. Shaka, uh, what a way to start off the main card with a banger here. You know these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. Question is, which man is going to fall? Yeah, Muslim Salikov, he's coming off that vicious KO over Nordin Taleb and Staropoli. He, he's got a, he just got a win over Tiago Alves, who is somewhat of a legend of the sport. So I feel like both of these guys are coming off wins against aging vets who are both on their way out. Steripoli is 26 years old, a lot younger than Salikov. Salikov's like 35, 36, but Salikov seems like he's been getting more comfortable in the, in the UFC cage. We know what he brings to the table. Uh, vicious counter shots, not the highest uh, work rate, but when he does throw, you better know how to box because if your head's in the way. But the thing is, with Nordin Taleb, we've seen what Nordin Taleb was coming off of. We've seen that he was coming off of a uh, Sean, Stri Sean, Sean Strickland knocked him out. <laughs> Sean Strickland, the, the jab and run guy, knocked him out. Uh, and Claudio Silva, that was another brutal finish that he was coming off of. And we saw in this Prepolek fight that the guy is, honestly, he's 40 years old, man. He's, you know, on his no way. No exaggeration. <laughs> like, At least my boy's smoking blunts on IG. Yeah. The guy, Nordine had a good run. He overachieved. And, you know, it is what it is. And he'll move on and do good things in his life. So I can only put so much. I, I mean, he was the underdog, Salikov, in that fight. So I guess uh, I, can, I guess I'll give give him uh, his his due credit, but uh, I mean I bet on him, so it was something I was expecting. <laughs> but Steripoli, on the other hand, I like this kid's spirit. He fights with a tenacity that you don't see a lot of guys fight with uh, with his experience level. You know, he's coming into the UFC debut against Hector Aldana. Okay, he beats him, leaves Hector with two big bags under his eyes. You know, it's only Hector Aldana, but then he comes back as a pick'em against Thiago Alves. Who, so both of these guys, they kind of seems like in the betting odds that uh, they might not have a the best read on him because I felt going into that fight I felt like Steripoli should have been a bigger favorite just because Alves like what's he gonna do string a couple wins together now <laughs> like you know so uh I think that obviously Steripoli needs to watch out for the counter shots but I've always thought that Muslim Salikov was one of those guys that if he doesn't get off on his counter shots if his range and timing isn't right on that specific night that he might this fight could be one of those instances where that if it goes to the cards that Steripoli might win a decision because Steripoli is gonna in my opinion has a higher work rate and I feel like he's gonna be able to take the shots a lot better than Nordin Taleb who like I said was coming off a knockout loss to Sean Strickland <laughs> and uh, a couple other guys. So I feel like there's a chance where basically what I'm getting at, uh, again, that these guys are on an even playing field, that these guys, that Muslim Salika might not be 
head and shoulders above Steripoli. Now, I could be wrong. He does have that vicious knockout power, but I feel like Steripoli can pick his shots, use his range well against the shorter guy in Salikov, and possibly get a win here. Now, will he? I, I do slightly lean Salikov just because of that power, but it's a dog or pass situation for me. I think that Steripoli's a young kid who's getting better fight to fight, coming off a win against Thiago Alves, which not a lot of people thought he was going to do. And I think that... Uh, He's probably going to show up a lot better now. I know Muslim is as well, but I feel like Muslim is what he is. He's going to be the low volume, and you just got to watch out for the counter. So I wouldn't be shocked if Steripoli tried to play this one really safe, tried to point him from the outside, and, and try to avoid his big counter shots and, and, and win a decision. So like I said, I slightly lean Salikov, but for me, it's... Uh, Steripoli or pass. Man, I cannot wait for this fight. Obviously, we did cash Muslim Salikov's last fight against Nordian Taleb. Went out there, starched him as an underdog. And I feel like Muslim Salikov, like you said, he is getting more comfortable inside the UFC's octagon. Now we're finally starting to see what the hype was all about. And I know people are saying if this fight gets extended that Muslim is automatically going to lose. You know he's undefeated when fights go the distance. Now, granted, the sample size is very small, but that's just facts. He has been the distance, and uh, he's never lost. So I'm just saying, don't think that, oh, all you got to do to beat Muslim Sarah Salika. Sarah Pulley's undefeated in the distance, too. You know, Sarah Pulley's been knocked the fuck out before. No, but... He got lost to Alex Garcia. <laughs> but basically, everyone's saying that if all Loriana has to do is get past the first round, he's automatically going to win. Uh, I'm not sure that's entirely true at all. And another thing I want to say about this whole argument that this guy's going to come out here and out-volume Muslim Salikov. I know he'd like to throw more volume, but when when you're fighting a guy like Hector Aldana, you can throw as much volume as you want because there's no threat coming back. I mean, there's no consequences if you have your hands down against Hector Aldana. It's not that big of a deal. You put your hands down against a guy like Muslim Salikov, and you might get launched. So Loriano's got to be very careful picking and choosing his shots here, knowing exactly when to throw, when to pull out, and uh, his range. He needs to be aware of everything at all times, because this guy Salikov might be low volume, might be low activity, but the guy's making reads the entire time. And when he's ready to, <laughs> to go off on one of those big bombs, maybe one of those spins... I mean, dude, that shit is explosive, and they call him the king of spin for a reason. They call him the king of kung fu for a reason. The guy is very dynamic with his knockouts, and uh, you look at that knockout streak he's got just on his record. The guy is a knockout highlight machine, so very, very fun to watch. But with Steropoli, he comes in there with that Argentine spirit, and if you know me personally, you know how I feel about the Argentines. My boy Pons is out there. You know, first of all, I hope my boy Pons makes a speedy recovery. We know he's going through some shit right now. But if you know about Pons in his prime, that's a real dude right there. That's a real fighter. That's a scary individual. And if Loriano Staropoli is Pons Jr., we might be looking at a future contender, man. He definitely seems like he's got the fighting spirit. He's got the length. He's got the technique. So now it's about paying the dues because the guy is still very young in his career. And here with Muslim Salikov, like I said, you make one little mistake against this guy and he will knock your head off into the fifth row. So I'm the same way in the sense where I'm picking Salikov to win this fight. I do think the counter is going to be there. I do think he knocks out Loriano Steropoli. But this line at these odds, it probably is a dogger pass situation. So best of luck to anyone who takes the dog here, but I'm going to take Salikov via knockout. Now next up in the heavyweight division, we got Cyril Gan. He's 4-0, and Dante Mays is 7-2. Currently, they got Cyril Gan minus 360. The comeback on Dante Mays is plus 300. Well, Cyril Gan is uh, Francis Ngannou's sparring partner. Dante Mays is the guy that Snoop Dogg said would not be invited to the gang fight. 
Who do you think wins this fight? Cyril Gunn, a very fast, athletic heavyweight, took care of Pessoa with ease in his first fight. And Dante Mays is a guy who has a lot of perseverance because he had three fights on Dana White's contender series. He lost the first one to Alan Crowder, and then he won two more. So I like how he put his head down, and he definitely has gotten better, definitely has power in his hands. This is a heavyweight fight, but I think Gon's just, you know, the superior athlete. But the only thing that worries me is that country he's from, but other than that, I think that... uh He's a uh, he's a great fight, uh, a good a good prospect. Very fast. He does fight with his hands down. So, like I said, Mays does hit like a truck. They don't call him Kong for no reason. But the superior athlete, I feel like the the guy who's gonna perform well. This is Mays' debut, flying across the country. I feel like Gon's gonna be a little more comfortable in there this time and uh, probably get another finish. You guys gotta see uh, Dante Mays versus Alan Crowder. On Contender Series with Snoop Dogg doing the, the commentary because he straight up said that Dante Mays is not invited to the gang fight. So that being said, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick him to win this fight either. Look, they actually have very similar styles. They both like to bounce back and forth. They like to fight with their hands down. They like to knock people out. But Cyril Gan is way cleaner. He's a better athlete. He's younger. He's fresher. I think he's got more upside. I think he comes out here and I think he knocks out Dante Mays. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Benil Benny Dariush. He's 16 and four, and Frank the Tank Camacho is 22 and seven. Currently, they got Benil Dariush, minus 160. The comeback on Frank Camacho is plus 140. Well, Shaq, uh, both guys coming off impressive wins. Dariush finished Dober via submission. Camacho finished uh, Dober's uh, former brother-in-law, Nick Hine, via strikes. If y'all know the backstory there, wink, wink. But uh, who you got on this one, Dariush or Camacho? Yeah, this is, gonna be, this is a great match of Dariush coming off that submission win over Dober and the prior win to uh, Tiago Moises. And before that, you know, he was on a on a rough stretch. I mean, it was definitely an obvious decline after the Edson knockout, uh, you know, followed with that Dunham performance in which he was lined north of a 2-1 to favorite and didn't really perform like it. Then the Hernandez KO loss, which I guess not a lot of people were expecting. And then uh, he had the two wins, the two wins. So, you know, I'm guessing he's feeling back on track, uh, back to, I guess, quote unquote, his old days. Uh, and Camacho is a guy where he actually got a, he's one of the few guys that his first run, look, some of those, <laughs> some of those losses, like kind of like uh, what I did with uh, Nico Price, at least going into his last fight. Some of those losses, uh, yeah, he got knocked out against Jeff Neal, but let's just be honest, but Neal's not capable of that. And and, and he's been fighting a, a lot bigger men. He's been fighting the likes of Lee Jing Leong, the guy that beat Elizu, finished Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos. Uh, so, man, Camacho, when you really look back at it, man, has had a very tough road. And he and I feel like now that he's got his weight situation in order, the back and forth fluctuations, not really having a home like of where you're really at in your career, it was just kind of messy, sloppy. Now he moved to Team Oyama, and I feel like he's going to be one of these cases where his new camp gives him a little bit of life. And Darius, I feel like he's had a good run. He's achieved a lot of things in his career at 155 pounds, great fighter, amazing black belt. His boxing's a big liability, and Frank Camacho has the size and the pressure to kind of draw out Benil's bad mistakes in his boxing. Benil, he leaves his chin up in the air. His chin's not the same, and his last fight against Ober, it was definitely a great finish, but I hate to say that guys were lucky to win, but... <laughs> 
uh, I'd say seven, eight out of ten times if he shows like shows up like that again, that he won't get a win, that he he will get knocked out if he keeps showing up like that. So I'm gonna take Frank Camacho. I feel like this is a good spot for him to come in here and get an upset against a just a guy that's on a on a decline, a little bit washed up. And I feel like Frank Camacho's on the up, so I'll take uh, Frank Camacho. I think he's gonna stuff uh, Benil's. Uh, grappling and just keep consistent, steady pressure on him and, and knock him out. So I'll go with Frank. This is a very, very exciting fight between two talented fighters, man, especially Benil Dariush. Uh, back in the day, prior to his UFC career, he was known for his jujitsu. And I mean, he even had a very, very close match with Crone Gracie. And I'm not talking about an MMA, I'm talking about with the Gion at the black belt level. So Benil Dariush is no slouch. And then you look at the guy's resume. I mean, we don't even got to read off all his wins. We're talking about Carlos Diego, Ferreira, Tony Martin, Jim Miller, Michael Johnson, Vic, Rashid, Drew Dober. So Benil's been in there and he's beat a lot of top guys. In my opinion, Benil was top five in the world at one point because when he fought Michael Johnson, Michael Johnson was ranked number five in the world. I was there in Nashville. Benil won that fight. But since everyone said it was a robbery, Benil never got the credit he deserved for beating the number five guy on planet Earth. So at one point, I considered Benil Dariush to be a top five guy. But a lot has changed since that point, obviously, because the way Benil fights, uh, Benil fights like a man. And when you fight like a man, that means that when you don't get the win, sometimes you're going to get knocked the fuck out. And uh, that tends to happen to, to Benny from time to time, you know, just ask Hernandez, ask Barboza. And the Barboza fight, he was coming on pretty strong for the first seven minutes. Unfortunately, kept setting up the takedown the same way. Edson made a great read, timed that flying knee. As far as Frank Camacho is concerned, well, I think he's a very solid fighter. I mean, this is going to be his 30th pro fight. And the guy definitely hits like a truck. He throws concussive blows. He has 17 wins via knockout. So, I mean, if you're not calling this guy a knockout artist, you're full of shit because he definitely is. And very, very exciting guy. Fights with a lot of spirit. But the thing that I've noticed most with Frank Camacho is that if he can't get you out of there, the guy does tend to huff and puff. And I've seen a lot lesser jujitsu guys go out there, take this guy's back and strangle him. Granted, this was on the regional scene. I think he has patched up some parts of his game. But, you know, this ain't Kanahara anymore, man. Uh, this is a real black belt here. And if Benny takes his back one time. If Benny takes him down one time, I do think the fight will be over shortly after. It's just what's going to happen on the feet at space because, you know, Benil, he fights with a lot of confidence. And at the beginning of his career, that was a great thing. But now that he's been knocked out a couple of times, it's not the best. He doesn't take a shot like he used to. That has to be acknowledged. So Frank Camacho is definitely live for a knockout here. But man, just like there's a gap in durability, there's a big gap on the mat as well. And that's where I think Dariush has a big edge. And, and Master Hoffa is talking to him the right way, which he did in the last two fights because he's been getting back to his jiu-jitsu roots. He's got to know, hey, don't give this guy the one chance he has to win by standing and banging with him. And he might go in there and stand and bang with him anyways because you know the way Benny fights. He fights with a lot of pride. But if Master Hoffa and him have a good game plan here... Go back to the way they fought Jim Miller, tie this guy up, take him down, rinse and repeat, whether it's a three-round decision, whether it's a submission. I'm going to go with Benil Dariush here to get it done. Co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We got Michael Blackyow Johnson. He's 19 and 14. Holy shit. He almost is 500, Shaq. Taking on Stevie Braveheart Ray, who's 22 and 9. Currently, they got Michael Johnson, minus 310. The comeback on Stevie Ray is plus 255. Well... 
I mean, every time we break down a Michael Johnson fight, it's the same thing. On his best day, this guy knocked out Poirier. This guy beat Ferguson, beat Barboza. On his worst day, he's out here uh, losing the guys like Reza Madati. So is Michael Johnson going to have a good day here uh, on Saturday against Stevie Ray? Yeah, this is a good fight. Michael Johnson beat Dustin Poirier, Ferguson, Barboza, etc. But at the same time, he's lost to Miles Dury, Reza Madati, Elkins. Uh, Sass. Sass. <laughs> I mean... The list goes on. Uh, Ted Worthington. The list Jonathan goes. Brookins. <laughs> Jonathan Brookins. The list goes on and on. So if Michael's fighting someone that uh, is good, he's probably going to beat him. If he <laughs> if he's fighting someone that sucks, he might lose. But uh, nah. But uh, Stevie Ray, you know, I feel like Stevie Ray is pretty much a journeyman at this point. I mean, they're both journeymen at this point. But Stevie Ray, anytime he's fought anything, you know, remotely near the rankings, he's gotten absolutely wiped out. You know, Leo Santos. Uh, Paul Felder, um, those were his two, like, you know, somewhat ranked opponents, um, and he got wiped out in both of those, which pretty much says that this guy is nowhere near a top 15 caliber fighter. Michael Johnson at least was. I think that Michael Johnson at 45 and 55, he should be better at 55s. The only thing with Michael Johnson is if he does lose this fight, in hindsight, you're going to say, Look at all the ass whoopings he's taken. You know, you got to have those things in the back of your head. But at the same time, look at the ass whoopings his opponent's been taking. So I would say Michael's been taking severe, obviously, because he's fought way better competition. But I think Michael's just faster, better than Stevie everywhere. It's just a matter of where's his confidence at now. He's never been a guy that struggled with that in the past. So I don't, I don't think it should be an issue. But at his age, after he's 19 and 14 now, if, if he wants to uh, make this uh, a technical striking match, yeah, he does have the speed advantage. But... At times, he has shown to not be the most accurate with his punches. I mean, you know, but generally that is when he fights grapplers because he starts squaring his stance up and he starts just missing a lot of punches. Stevie Ray is very uh, slow, but one thing Stevie, I, I will give him credit for is if he gets someone to stand in the pocket with him, he does have some crafty little boxing. So I think that as long as Michael Johnson is sharp and, and doesn't, you know, have any uh, confidence issues off that Josh Emmett knockout, and which is, don't forget, his opponent just got knocked the fuck out too, that he uh, should win this fight. So I don't put anything past Michael, but I think that uh, he, he will win this fight. I feel like he's the better fighter. He's always been the better fighter. Stevie Ray is progressively just probably not going to be UFC level. So I will take Michael Johnson. Yeah, look, since about 2013, the only guys that are coming out here and beating Michael Johnson are all ranked fighters. Now, that being said, the biggest edge I think he has here and the reason why he's a 3-1 to one favorite is because the speed difference is huge. And even though Michael Johnson has slowed down a bit, he's so much faster than Stevie Ray to a point where I do think that not only he can come out here and win the decision, but I think he can knock out Stevie Ray as well. Look. Stevie Ray let me down big time in his last fight, and I'm going to explain why. It's not the fact that he lost to a great fighter in Leo Santos. There's nothing wrong with losing to a guy in Leo Santos. Leo's undefeated in the UFC. The issue I had was, if you watched Leo Santos' fight prior to the Stevie Ray fight, which was actually three years ago, he was coming off a three-year layoff going into the Stevie Ray fight, Leo Santos and Adriano Martins had a little sparring session where it looked like two old Brazilian men that were one fight away from retirement. So, you know, you think, okay, Stevie Ray, he can hang with this guy enough to go to a decision. Wrong. He can't even hang two minutes and 30 seconds with the guy. He got knocked out by a jiu-jitsu guy in the first round with a devastating punch. So I'm questioning 
Stevie Ray a lot right now. Not to mention, obviously, you saw the Paul Felder knockout, but what about the K. John Johnson fight? There was a moment in that fight where it looked like K. John Johnson knocked out Stevie Ray with an elbow, woke him back up with the follow-up punch, goes on to win the split decision. So, And a lot of people thought, not me, I, I scored the fight for Stevie, but a lot of people thought that Stevie might have lost that Justin Ayari fight. So we might be looking at a four-fight losing streak. Then you mix in the fight with Joe Lozon where I bet Stevie Ray parlayed him with Mike Perry to beat Jake Ellenberger. And it's like first round, Joe Lozon goes out there, gets a 10-8 round. I'm like, Stevie, you know, <laughs> fight before that barely ekes out a split against Ross Pearson. So Maybe Stevie, you know, I don't want to sit here and say Stevie's been a fraud the whole time because that'd be disrespectful. But what I do want to say is those wars with Kurt Warburton in Cage Warriors, you know, he had three of them. One of them went the five round distance. All those took so much out of him that, that, that by the time he got to the UFC, he really only had enough for three solid performances. Ever since then, he's been struggling big time. Whereas Michael Johnson, like I said, since 2013, he's been finding the best guys on planet Earth. I mean, I say 2013, 2012, he went out there and beat Tony Ferguson, right? So this guy's been finding the best of the best. And not to mention, I just think the skill gap in terms of speed, is, is speed considered a skill? You know what I'm saying. I just think the speed gap is huge here. And that Stevie Ray doesn't present some huge threat on the ground where if he takes down Michael one time and takes his back one time, the fight will be over. We saw a guy like Andre Feely, who's been killing it, take down Michael Johnson and not be able to finish the fight. So I'm going to go with Michael Johnson here via first-round knockout. Main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we got Damian Maya. He's 27-9, and and Ben Askren is 19-1. and Currently, they got Ben Askren minus 185. The comeback on Damian Maya is plus 160. Well, Shaq, it's grappler versus grappler. Oftentimes when you see a, you know, a wrestler versus a jiu-jitsu guy or a wrestler versus a wrestler, either way, grappler versus grappler, they go out there and have a striking match. But I have a bit of a feeling that uh, these two are going to come out there and have a dick measuring contest and try to figure out who's the better grappler in the welterweight division. Yeah, most likely. Damian Maya, if he chose to be a striker for this fight, this would be the one few fights where he's got the uh, where he's got the clear boxing edge for 100%. I mean, I remember those twos he landed on Usman and Kobe. He landed some twos on, on uh, Tony Martin as well, uh, one of the three strikes that he landed so <laughs> um, i think that uh maya's got the better striking and it's interesting because when you look at maya's history against division one wrestlers look at all the or you know just the high level wrestlers that he's fought uh covington usman jake shields fitch tyron woodley the one thing that all those guys have is somewhat level striking you know what i'm saying as where ben is pretty much just gonna rush forward and I guess just shoot a low, try to dive in on something and see what, I mean, Ben is, one could say Ben is a mess. I mean, I, I like his pressure, the relentless pressure, and Jake Shields at one point did get on top of Damian Maia, and he couldn't get back up for the round, but surprisingly in that fight, it was Damian Maia who had the better cardio in that fight, and that's because his chin wasn't threatened, and that's a big factor that a lot of people, you got to look at, you know. Kobe, Kobe Covington, Usman, all these guys, Tyron Woodley, these these real wrestlers all have power and they all have the threat of knocking him out. I don't think he's probably going to feel the threat of Ben knocking him out. So I feel like Maya's chin is good to go in this five-round fight. And that's a big factor. That takes a, that's going to, in my opinion, 
make Maya's cardio last a little bit better than a lot of people think. So I think that Askren is still, uh, the jury's still out on one. I, I do think he would have beat Robbie Lawler, uh, whether the choke was in or in or not in. If you watch that fight, you can see the pace started, start to get to Robbie. But we know that Robbie, they don't call him Bob and Weave Lawler for no reason. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we know that he's completely uh, washed, especially now after what Covington did to him. You mean Colby outstruck Robbie Lawler on the field? I mean, Colby landed six, how many, how many punches did he throw? It was like 600. He set the record for most punches thrown in a fight. So, um, I think that Damian Maya is a live dog, and and I know that he has a losing record against wrestlers. But like I said, those wrestlers were with striking. Um, look, I we haven't really seen Ben Askren go against anybody really. Like a gra- like he just got knocked out in five seconds. Before that, he got slammed on his head by Robbie Lawler, but like I told you, the state that Robbie Lawler's in, he was coming off a torn ACL in the Dos Anjos. Robbie's completely done. He, yep, he's coming off a torn ACL at 30-something years old after all these wars. Like, <laughs> well, him and Conor were never the same after <laughs> exactly. their fight. Um, so, like, the jury's still out on Ben when you really think about it. I know he's got the wrestling in Maya, but like I said, he's got no striking. The real. I'm telling you, Maya's card- cardio should be better for this fight, so... How I see this fight going is I think that Ben comes at him and he might get on top of him for the first round, but I feel like as progressively as this fight gets on, that uh, it's actually going to be Ben, the guy that's getting tired. And I feel like eventually he'll, uh, whether, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say Ben's going to get taken down because I know if some people heard me say that, they'd be like, uh, Ben getting taken down, you got, you know, there's a better chance of winning the lottery than that. Do or, something. <laughs> but, uh, I think that the jury's still out on Askren. I, I feel like you can, in my opinion, it's a dog or pass situation. This guy, I know he beat Douglas Lima. I know he beat Koreshkov. But those guys aren't grapplers, you know what I'm saying? Those guys, yeah, I know if Ben gets a hold of them, they're, that he's, they're most likely fucked because those guys are all... I know Douglas has a black belt, but what is he known for? He ain't known for tapping people out. He's known for knocking people out. He's known for kicking What is Koreshkov known for? He's known, I know he's got good ground, but what is he known for? For spins and fucking, you know, he's known for flashy strikes. So I know he's got some good wins on his resume, but this is going to be, I feel like, a tougher matchup for him. Of course, I could be wrong. Maya's on the tail end of his career, but Askren's on the tail end of his career as well. Um, Askren's actually retired before. He's actually retired before, and a lot of people gotta can't forget that. that There was a one point where there was years after the Alex Hawkins fight where Ben was again challenged. I know he fought uh, Sapo Santos, but uh, Luis Santos is an old Brazilian man, you know. Um, so is Damian Maya, but Damian Maya can still show you that, hey, I can still come out here and tap out Lyman good in the first round. And I know Lyman. Someone that Ben Askren dominated a long time ago. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure Ben beat Lyman too. Ben's like, I beat Lyman 10 years ago. <laughs> but, like, the thing is, what have you done for me lately? And Ben really hasn't done much lately uh, besides run his mouth. So I think that uh, that Maya's live. It's a dog or pass situation. Um, as far as a pick, you know, I'll take Maya, I guess, man. I think that. Uh, a lot of things are being underestimated in this matchup, and uh, you know I'll take Maya for the upset to 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 submit the the uh, world class wrestler. Yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of things. Firstly, I want to say the positive about Ben Askren. He's got wins over Douglas Lima, Andre Korshkov, and Nikolai Alexakin. So those are three incredible wins, but. Let's just put those in perspective real quick. Not only were they almost a decade ago, not the Nikolai Alexakin one, but the other two. But as much as I love those three fighters, 
Are those guys known for going out there and uh, being world-class grapplers? I know Douglas is a black belt. We got a lot of respect for Douglas, this and that. But when we're talking about specialists, because that's what Askren and Amaya are, Lima's a specialist at leg kicking. Korshkov's a, a specialist at not uh, not jujitsu, and Alex Sakin's a specialist at knocking people out too. So it's one of those things where I respect those three fighters. You can't sit here and say he's never beaten anybody because those people are somebody. But they're not Damian Maya in terms of jiu-jitsu. And this is going to be a pure grappling match for MMA. So that's that's the interesting thing. Now, another thing I want to mention is uh, my jiu-jitsu professor said that Askren is going to win this fight. For a Brazilian to pick against a Brazilian, that means something to me. Because if you know about Brazilians, they don't they don't just pick against Brazilians. And uh, for my, my jiu-jitsu professor to pick Askren in this fight, I was like, oh, shit. Maybe he's got a point. Maybe he does have a point. But... As far as how I analyze this matchup myself, I mean, Askren, obviously, you know, the striking is non-existent. I know we like to joke around about, oh, this guy's got no striking. But no, no, Askren really doesn't have striking. I mean, he'll the fight will start and the guy will be diving on legs right away. That, that's how it goes. So if you're diving on legs right away with Maya, I got to give Maya a lot of credit. The dude's got some fucking good takedown defense. You watch that fight with Jakey Shields, and I know that officially it was a win for Shields. But man, uh, when, when Shields was shooting in on Maya. Maya has a serious brawl. He's got some, you know, I know he's just known for his jiu-jitsu, but uh, the guy's wrestling is pretty sick too. It's not just about those half-guard sweeps. What about the way he chains his takedowns together? So I think this is going to be a real big, this is going to be a real serious fight. I don't think it's just going to be a walk in the park for Ben Askren. And then you see this kind of line where it's almost two to one for a guy who really hasn't proven shit inside the octagon. He proved a lot over in Singapore. He proved a lot over in Bellator back when they were on MTV2. But since the the time when he's retired, I haven't really seen much. I haven't seen what I want to see. Now, as far as the Robbie Lawler fight is concerned, I'm not going to be one of those people that says that, oh, Robbie won that fight. No, Robbie didn't win shit. Robbie was teeing off on the guy, and then Robbie gets taken down after he was teeing off on him, then Robbie gets caught in a bulldog choke. So you're telling me Robbie won that fight? Robbie didn't win a fucking thing. You can give Askren all the credit he wants. Even if Herb Dean didn't step in and stop that fight, Askren would have went on to grind the guy out or submit him with something else. So in my opinion, Askren clearly won that fight. There's no controversy. Yeah, he got smashed on. He landed zero significant strikes. Those are all facts. But who got their arm raised? Ben Askren. So you got to give him credit for that. But the next one, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, we can sit here and say it was only five seconds. But, uh, you know, uh, he was out longer than the fight lasted, right? You know, he was out for longer than five seconds, right? So I'm not sure how he's doing. And one thing about Maya is he's not known for his striking. But I'll tell you what. When he throws that straight left, when, when Damian Maya starts to believe in his boxing, the guy can actually throw pretty damn hard. I don't, I don't know if you guys recall that fight against Mark Munoz back in the day, but Damian Maya was teeing off on him in that first round. Then you fast forward to the fight against Jake Shields, and in that fourth and fifth round, there were some moments on the feet where my boy Maya was getting off on some combinations. He uh, he was getting hood with, uh, with Jake Shields in those later rounds, so... It's a very tough fight to call, but because it's a tough fight to call and there's such a wide line, I'm going to go with the dog as well. I'm going to go with Damian Maya. We'll see what happens. I'm very intrigued. Uh, I'm going to go with Damian Maya here to beat Ben Askren. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle is going down very late in the morning or very early, should I say. Uh, two grapplers, Ben Askren and Damian Maya, are going to throw down. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, not sure how excited I am to wake up at 5 a.m. for this card, but 
there's money to be won, so let's try to win it. And let's get right down to business, man, because oftentimes when you get two grapplers, uh, they become strikers in there, but I have a feeling this will be an MMA grappling match. Uh, how you see it going down and who you picking? Yeah, see, this, I'm not exactly sure how this one's going to play. I feel like Askren has to go for takedowns. I, I think Maya's the better striker here, but I see Askren just laying in Maya's guard for 25 minutes, or, I mean, maybe he can wear Maya out, finish him late, but I, I don't see a whole lot of action in this fight, and I don't know how worried we should be from Maya on the bottom here. I don't see him getting takedowns himself, so I just think uh, Askren's the guy I'd rather be playing here, but... This could be a main event we can skip. I mean, if, if Askren's laying in his guard, just throwing little punches, not getting counted as significant strikes, I don't see him advancing position too much. Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't score highly, especially if he doesn't finish. So this is uh, one I'm not too sure about, and I definitely am not going to stack in cash. I think it's either avoid the main event in cash or, for me, probably just solo Askren. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and take the wrestler here. Um, the younger guy, and I think he wrestles his way to a victory. Kyle, in the co-main event, I guarantee this fight will deliver action. You got Michael Johnson taking on Stevie Ray. And look, both Shaq and I picked Michael Johnson to win this fight. We think there's a huge speed advantage there. But here's my question for you, Kyle. At 9,300, can you trust a, a guy with 14 professional losses? Uh, mate, that's, it is a high price to pay here. I agree, though. I do think he's the the pick uh, for this fight, and I do feel good about him getting the win. So I think he's probably better off as a cash game play, just take the win and not really worry about how much he scores. But, yeah, I don't know how much I'll click on him in GPPs because I don't love his upside. But he is the pick to win, so I don't see me going to Ray either. So Johnson for cash or probably just mostly fade in GPPs for me. So you're saying you're not going to have any exposure to Stevie Ray here? Yeah, probably not. I don't see me making a whole lot of lineups this week. It's only 15K up top this week, so I'm not going to go at it too hard. Uh, so I don't think he makes my player pool. Well, I don't know where you stand on this lightweight matchup, but I can tell you firsthand that I will have a little bit of these two guys because we got Benil Dariush taking on Frank Camacho. You know Frank Camacho can win by knockout. You know Benil Dariush has a devastating uh, jujitsu game. Who do you think gets it done? Um... This is one I like both sides of, but I really don't love a ton of dogs on this card, so I'd prefer the Camacho side. If he can keep it standing, and I think he's live in this match, he throws enough to score 7,800. If he gets 100 points, he's going to be on the nuts. So I definitely like Camacho here, but I think Darius has a big advantage. He can get the fight to the ground. Um, and if he does in the first round, he might get a finish, and not a lot of people are going to be on him. So I like him too, but... Uh, I'm going to lean with the underdog here. I think I'm going to pick Camacho to get it done. Uh, hopefully he can stuff takedowns and, and just get a win. And I think any win from him is going to pay off 7,800. So in the heavyweight division, you got Francis Ngannou's main sparring partner, Cyril Gan, taking on Dante Lemay's. And uh, I have a feeling this one's going to end in the first round. Uh, you feel the same way? Yeah, uh, first or second for sure. But I like Gan a good bit. Uh, he looks like the real deal to me, uh, so I'm excited to see him get in there more and more, and hopefully he does get this done quick so he can get back in there again. Uh, he's going to be one of my favorite plays on the card. Give me gone by, uh, yeah, first round knockout. Another one with knockout potential is opening up the main card because you got Muslim Salikov taking on Luriano Staropoli. Both these guys fight with a lot of pride. It's Russia versus Argentina. You know for a fact that... Uh, concussive blows will be thrown throughout this bout. Uh, the question is, 
Are you going to stack these guys, or are you just going to take both guys in separate lineups? No, nah, I'm definitely not going to stack this one. I don't think there's going to be enough potential for the whole fight to score highly. Um, but this is another one where I kind of like the underdog. He might be able to pull it out just from volume alone. If he can go for takedowns, we know Salikov doesn't have much on the ground. So I kind of like Starpoli here, but I don't know what his ceiling is. Salikov probably has the higher ceiling for that first-round knockout potential. Um, so it's one I don't mind either side. But if, if Salikov doesn't get the knockout, it's going to be hard for him to pay off the $8,600 price tag because he just doesn't throw enough volume. So for me, um, I'd rather take the dog if I'm just making one lineup here. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down Saturday in the AM from Singapore. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. Hopefully uh, we get a hot streak going this week. Um, and, and if I wake up at 5 a.m., ho- hopefully we got a good card for us as well. Good luck, everybody. Well, Shaq, before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, we just got to remind them to visit our sponsor, FlavCBD, at flavcbd.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. Let them know we sent you. And uh, let us know what you think about these FlavCBD products because I'm fucking loving them. FlavCBD.com. Use the promo code BATTLE to save 10% off. And Shaq, let's talk about this fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Singapore? My fight to watch is going to be the heavyweights. Maurice Green, Sergey Pavlovich, the winner of that fight. I think Maurice Green is already ranked. Sergey might be ranked as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the winner of that fight might be in top 10 range. You know, if heavyweight, you move up pretty fast. So if the winner of this fight might be getting, uh, you know, uh, a sweepstakes with Tybor, uh, these uh, old, old uh, aging heavyweight up next. Yeah, I'm excited for that. My fight to watch is Muslim Salikov versus Loriana Staropoli. Look, if this fight is boring, I'm sending out free samples of Flav CVD because... Uh, I don't think there's any chance in hell that Salikov and Staropoli are not going to throw bungalows until one man hits the deck unconscious and a 50k bonus is rewarded shortly after. So I truly believe when you got an Argentine versus a Russian, that kind of pride, that kind of spirit, plus they're both stand-up fighters, uh, Staropoli versus Salikov is your fight to watch. Well, Shaq. Who's the fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN Plus 20? My fighter to watch is going to be Cyril Gain, you know, the heavyweight division. I hear he's Francis, Francis' next big star outside Francis Ngannou. I heard he's Francis Ngannou's uh, training partner, so I'm interested to see how he performs against uh, somewhat of a step-up in competition. So if, they, if, they, if this guy wins this fight, I was hoping that he could get the Hardy fight, but Hardy's fighting Volkov now. But Man, uh, can't wait to talk about that one. Yeah, so uh, Cyril Gain's my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Mofsar Evluev. Look, this is a guy who Shaq called Little Khabib. I've seen him on the regional scene. This guy is relentless with his takedowns, and he could really become something here in the UFC featherweight division. You know, initially I thought that the guy was going to compete at bantamweight, but uh, he's so dominant with his takedowns, the way he chains them together and his top control, the relentlessness. You get back up, uh, all of a sudden it's going to be a mat return right again. This guy is very, very confident, and I think he brings something special to the division. We haven't seen an elite specialist like this in Bantamweight for a very, very long time. Excuse me, at Featherweight for a very, very long time. I I know we can talk about the Ortegas and this and that, but this is a different situation. This is more along the the Sambo uh, ways. This is a serious Russian here in the Featherweight division, and I'm very intrigued to see what he does. So for that reason, Evloev is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, early in the morning in Singapore. 
They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Shaq's Instagram, Shaq BFP. Our bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. Use that promo code FORTUNE to save 10% off any package. Our sponsor, Flav CBD. Go to flavcbd.com. Use that promo code BATTLE. We want to thank all the fans so much for all your support. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Music Radio, all the spots that we are available. We really appreciate you. We promise you we're going to get back on that uh, the fan questions for next week because next week is the big fight. Next week is Masvidal vs. Diaz, so we're going to have a long episode. We're going to have a nice little two-hour episode. Sit back, answer all your questions. We want to thank you guys again for your support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.